Well, I am excited. I'm looking at the time and I'm worried because there's so much to say. I'm preaching about the armor of God today. I I have illustrations because this is an incredible visual illustration. I I love that the the author here gives us something that you can visualize. And I think visual learning is is a a good technique. Many of you are visual learners. Some of you are not. Uh, But this will strike you, uh, those of you who are visual learners today, as we talk about the armor of God. We're in the Gospel Project talking about the letters to God's people. And today's title is Once Weak, Now Strong. Once Weak, now strong. We've learned in the last few weeks that what once slaves, now we're sons. And, and we're using this theme as we go along. Today is once weak, now strong. Get ready for Ephesians chapter 6, although that will be on the screen for you. I'm going to take us someplace that's not on the screen, that you'll need to get your Bible or get a gadget out. Or maybe you can get lucky and find a Bible, a pew Bible underneath one of your seats. There are baskets underneath some of the seats. So if you do not have a Bible, you might be able to locate one, although I imagine they're, they're few and far between as we don't have all our seats out. I want to read a portion, and it's, it's long. I'm going to tell you it's long, but you need to hear the whole thing. And, and what else do we have to do today but get into the Word of God? Amen? I'm thankful that Roger set his prayer time up about uh, Scripture. He used Scripture to bring us to humility and prayer. We're a church that believes in Scripture. So would you go with me to Acts 19, and we're going to read verses 1 through 20. And I'll tell you why in just a few minutes, but I I don't believe we can talk about the armor of God until we get the context of who this was written to and for in Ephesians. Sometimes we skip right over that, but I want to give you the context. Who are these people that are told to put on the armor of God? So I'm going to read Acts 19. I'd ask you to follow along, and if you don't have Scripture, sit and listen uh, and and take that in. I'm sorry, Acts 19, starting in verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, and that is Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about twelve men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. And when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all in the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. 
And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magical arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them, and they found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of that scripture. I use that as context for Ephesians today. As you notice at the beginning, Paul went to Ephesus. The book of Ephesians is written to believers in Ephesus. We find in this many incredible things. By the way, one of my favorite passages there where the evil spirit says, Jesus I know, Paul I know, who are you? Woo, I'd be scared to death. I'd be shaking in my boots at that point. But I love what happens at the end of this passage because people got saved. People were radically changed. I used this at baptism yesterday to talk about the symbolism of baptism. We die to our old self and and are raised anew in Christ, a new life in Christ. And we see this dramatically happen to people who came to Christ in Ephesus. The temple of Diana was there. Paul went and stood in there, and specifically the temple of Tyrannus, and he spoke about Jesus. Ephesus was an incredible city of, of smart-thinking people and people that uh, did all sorts of religious activity, and some of the religious activity was the occult. Many people dabbled in the occult. People were saved out of the occult to be followers of Jesus. You talk about a radical change of life. And to show this change, they brought their books of of demonic arts, and they brought them, and they burned them all. The Bible says that if they total the value of it, it's 50,000 pieces of silver, a drachma. Uh, One piece of silver was equal to a day's wage. So if you do the math there, and I'm not great at math, but if you do the math there, $15 an hour, $17 an hour, whatever you want to say is an hourly wage, a day's wage, 50,000 days, this is $6 million bonfire. They had a $6 million bonfire saying that we're no longer this, we're with Jesus. A change happens when you come to Christ and say, forgive me of my sin, come into my life. This is not just a a little moment to get you out of hell. This isn't a get out of hell free card that means nothing. This is a change of life. I once was this and now I'm this. That's why we're going through these letters and saying, I once was a slave, but now I'm a son. I once was weak, but now I am strong. There's a change that takes place when Jesus comes into your life, amen? And it's to these people Believers that have walked out and away from evil into the light, out of darkness into the light, away from Satan and toward Christ, that he writes the book of Ephesians. Some have taken the book of Ephesians and broken it down, and you look at Ephesians 1 through 3, and it's all about how we are now seated with Christ. The imagery is that Christ has done everything and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Now we as believers can sit down in our identity of crime in Christ so we can be seated. Everybody say sit. We sit in Christ, Ephesians 1 through 3. And then Paul goes 4 and 5, chapters 4 and 5 of Ephesians, he talks about our walk. 
Our walk in Christ. That's why he talks to husbands and wives, how they ought to be believers in their marriage. He talks to parents, how you ought to be believers in raising children. And he talks to uh, uh, business and he says, as you go to work, be a believer. It's your walk. Everybody say walk. So Ephesians is a book that tells believers we are seated with Christ. We have a walk that is different than the world. And then he gets to Ephesians 6 and he says, finally... Like a pastor says in conclusion, and you know it's going to go for another 20 minutes. Paul says, finally, and he wraps up everything he's been talking about. And it's in that context, we can finally get to the message today. And our point, the big idea, is knowing I'm in a battle, I must be strong and stand firm. Oh, I once was weak, now I am strong. Knowing I'm in a battle, I must be strong and stand firm. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be on alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. We're told to be different. That takes us to our context today, and that should be on the screen, Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Let's read it together. I'll read along and you follow along. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Finally, be strong. Everybody say strong. In the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand. Therefore, everybody say stand. Having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints and also for me that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This morning we, we're going to talk about this armor that we have. Stan Walls brought this for me this morning. He had made this. This is an incredible piece of heart that he made. It's got his magnetic shield, and the magnet's really strong. He's got a shield of faith, and it's a soldier. Like I said, the imagery is so great, it compels people to make beautiful pieces of art. I forgot the best illustrations above my desk. I've got a sword in my office. If you ever come to see me, there's a sword above my desk. Don't stand too close. I hung it there, and I'm not very mechanical, so it could fall at any time. Thankfully, it's not sharp, and it's just for looks. The sword of the Spirit. What are, what are all these things? Well, this morning I hope to make sense of some of this, help you to understand imagery, understand context. Some people get carried away with this and, and they think they literally get up and have to put each piece on. And, you know, and, they, and they go about living in their day looking for Satan at every corner and everything that happened, Satan did it. And, and I, I'm not of that persuasion to say any of that is the truth. And yet we do learn spiritual truth through this. I mean, I don't want you walking through your day and 
I heard Zeke today, or hurt his toe. He hurt his toe, ran into a coffee table. I don't want Zeke going, oh, no, I forgot to put on my gospel feet today. I and so God broke my toe. I, I don't live like that as Christians. Sometimes you, you, you hurt your toe because you didn't have good shoes on, not because you didn't put on the, you know, the imagery shoes of the gospel. Okay, don't, don't think like that. Uh, but I do want you to understand what Paul is saying in the big picture here. It's a beautiful thing about we as believers and what we have and how we should live. Let's talk about the battle. The imagery he's using here is about a battle. So the first thing I want to bring up is in my big idea, it says knowing I'm in a battle. Well, do you know? That's, that's kind of a, I almost put if I know I'm in a battle because many believers don't live as if they're in a battle. If you don't realize you're in a spiritual battle, let me tell you, if you don't know there's a battle going on, you're going to lose that war. <laughs> Those who are unaware will be defeated. So the first thing is you must know. And when we realize we're in a spiritual battle, I don't want you running and, and again, looking for Satan behind every bush. I don't want you to be fearful, Christian, because let's put it in context today. The victory's already been won, Amen. We're in a battle, but you need to know that the, the battle has been won. We are victorious. Let me just tell you that right from the beginning. It's a good thing to know, and I want you to have confidence in that. You see, whoa, I didn't do that. I have no idea what's going on, but if you could fix that, it looks like it is on its own. See, now somebody's going to say you didn't put on the gospel of something and the gospel of the computer. All right, no, no, no. You know, don't worry about it. Uh, we might have armor on our computers, but it's malware. It's not <laughs> spiritual. We are going to go ahead and click for me because I'm afraid to touch that thing. If it did that to you, it might do something crazy to me. The victory has already been won. The next thing, if you could bring it up, if it comes up slowly, maybe not. Victory is secured in Jesus' death and resurrection. Friends, the battle has been won. You need to know that. It's such a reassuring thing as a believer. And you might be saying, well, what's the battle then? If we already won, what's the battle? Well, the enemy is still real. And the enemy hasn't given up. And although the battle has been won, there's a war going on. And he will continue to fight. World War II, they say, was won a, about a year before the fighting actually ended, D-Day ended, but a year before there was a battle that they pretty much knew victory was secured. But the enemy kept fighting, and the enemy had to be defeated. It, it's like David and Goliath. Remember the wonderful story of David and Goliath? And remember what happened when David went out there? No soldier would go out and fight. They were too afraid to go and fight, but David went out. He took his sword. He took those five smooth stones. He saw that giant. He slung and knocked that giant down. He went and grabbed his head and cut his head off and held it up. And you know what happened immediately after that? All the armies ran out and said, Woohoo! We won! We won! One of the soldiers running out there probably said, What do you mean we won? He won! And the guy said, Yeah, but... He won for us. So we win. I don't know if you ever realized that story of David and Goliath is beautiful for us as believers. It shows us that we're in a battle, but it has been won, but we are going to war. We still go to war. I, I want to say it like this. Hit the button one time. We get to work from victory, not for victory. Do you understand, believer? We as believers have a secured victory, so we're working from victory. Amen? not for victory. So when I send you out talking about a spiritual battle here as believers, don't be running and, and scared. Don't be scared. The imagery Paul uses 
was we are seated in Christ. Everybody say sit. He tells us to walk in Christ. Everybody say walk. And now he says stand. Everybody say stand. We sit, we walk, we stand in Christ. The victory is won, but we have an enemy. So the first thing you need to know today is you have an enemy. And we are at war. Oh, I'm sorry, you click. Touched it again, I'm sorry. You need to know we're still under attack. 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be alert, be sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We have an enemy, and we're still under attack. The victory is secure, but that means you better be ready. Alert. Be looking. One more time if you'd hit the button. I must know who the enemy is and where he is. I must know who my enemy and where he is. Who's your enemy? Satan. Where is he? He's prowling and looking for somebody to devour. So you need to be alert. The world would scoff at us. I find it very interesting the world would scoff as we talk about spiritual warfare and Satan, our enemy. They would scoff at us. And yet, look at the movies. Look at the entertainment about the dark side. Obviously, our culture understands there is evil in this present world. And they scoff at us because we name it. We have it in the book. It tells us who our enemy is. We know who he is, and we know where he is. Our enemy is Satan, and he is prowling around looking for Christians to destroy. Oh, he can't take your victory away, but he can sure defeat you. I'm afraid too many defeated Christians are heading to heaven instead of living in victorious life here. And so... We take a look at the imagery. I'm sorry, I'm so used to clicking. You click. The army, the armor of God. Found this great picture of a Roman soldier. I imagine that's what Paul was thinking of. He'd been in prison many times. He's been around Roman guards. He's been beaten by them. He knows what they look like. And I'm sure at some point he's thinking in his mind about the believer. And we've got an enemy like a lion prowling, looking for us to defeat us and devour us. And he thought, boy, the Roman soldiers are prepared. They're ready. And when they're on guard, they're on guard. And he uses this imagery to tell believers we need to be ready. And boy, were they ready. Let me just walk through it. Go ahead and hit the button down as I go. The first thing mentioned in Ephesians 6 is put on the belt of truth. And it starts with that. Friends, do you know as a believer that the first thing you need to hold fast to is truth? God's truth. Absolute truth. What's true for all people at all times? Absolute truth. This is central to your armor. It talks about it being a belt, but it's not like our belts today. Our belts might hold up riches. This belt held up everything. It was more of a central core piece that held up all of the armor. You see, the the armor we're going to talk about weighed about 70 pounds. The armor of a Roman soldier weighed about 70 pounds. And if it was all on the shoulders, it would weigh the soldier down. And so they had a belt central. You can see it on him. His belt was central, and it took up the weight of this shield, 40 pounds of shield, brass and bronze. It was heavy, and it took some of that weight from his shoulders. Are you girded in truth, Christian? Don't live in a world who knocks down absolute truth. We're living in a world that just will not stand for absolute truth. Nobody in this world, apart from God, will believe that there's a truth that's true for all people at all times. No, this world wants to say what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me. But you need to know that the absolute truth of God's word is the belt of truth, and we need to be girded up 
It starts with that belt of truth. Next thing on the list is that breastplate of righteousness. I already talked about its weight. And friends, if you're going to try to be righteous in your own power, it's going to weigh you down. It's going to bring you down if you try to live it in your own power. But it's in Christ. It's girded up with that belt of truth that we have righteousness. And what is this righteousness? Patricia Shire had a great, she's got one of the best sermons on the armor of God. Go look at her afterward. It's a wonderful message. Uh, and I, I watched it, and twice I watched it this week. I love her analogy she uses. She uses the word righteousness as being upright, upright living. It's facing the sun. We know that daylight is a great disinfectant. The sunshine brings disinfectant. It's upright living, and she talks about a boat. Have you ever gone to a a lake in Michigan and found one of those boats upside down on the shore. You know how people put their boats upside down, right? Well, they put them upside down so that the rain stays out of it. But you know in Michigan, as the rain comes and the heat comes and that boat's been there for months, have you ever had to flip one of those over? Priscilla Shire, am I getting her name right? I called her several things, but Priscilla. Priscilla uses a great illustration. She says, I hate flipping over the boat because I know something's underneath that boat she talks about going down with her sons and she makes her sons get on the sides she gets at the very tip and she wants to flip and run she knows that when it flips something's coming out maybe it's one of these a spider maybe it's one of those a frog hopefully it's not one of you know where i'm going right i hate those things too spiders and frogs and snakes why are they there It's because that boat wasn't upright. That boat had been low down. (laughs) And it's the perfect environment for creepy crawlies to live. Christian, if you're living a low down life, you're living in an environment where the evil one can flourish. You're living in an environment, if you're not living upright, if you're not living a righteous life, you're allowing Satan to get a foothold. The Bible says don't allow Satan to get a foothold in your life. Live upright. Some of you, Today might need to simply, with this whole armor business, you might simply need to walk away and say, Lord, I've been living an upside down life. I need to flip it and live in the the daylight of Jesus. Give him everything because you don't want Satan to get a foothold. We got to go. Keep going. Breastplate of righteousness and then the sandals with the gospel of peace. We think of soldiers, why are they wearing sandals? Well, uh, the Roman soldiers had like a two-inch leather sole on this sandal. And the intricate weaving all the way up was made so that there wouldn't be any sores developing their feet. They were very firm. But interestingly enough, they had up to two-inch spikes coming through the bottom of their sandals. These were pretty powerful sandals. And they had spikes so that when they dug in, they could stand firm. Everybody say stand these aren't just sandals. We're not talking about air Jesuses here. Number four, we have a shield of faith. And that shield of faith was to fight off all the fiery darts of the enemy. The Bible lets you know that the enemy wants you and he has weapons. Get that straight, believer. He's, he wants to take you down. So he's got fiery darts and the shield of faith can block those. Number five, we have the helmet of salvation. Oh, we, we must live in the knowledge that we are believers, a new identity, that we're saved. Number six, we have the sword of the Spirit. I'll, second service, I'll have my sword out here. The sword of the Spirit, which, by the way, is the only offensive weapon there and mostly is used for defense. But the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. It's your Bible, believer. This is your only weapon. This is a great defensive weapon. 
You've got defensive things all over the place, but you've got one sword. Soldier had to have his sword. A Roman soldier's sword not only was his battle friend, but it was his utensils to cook with. It was everything. You had to have your sword. I have to go for immediacy, but I don't want to focus on these little units or you might get carried away as a Christian about each individual one. And I believe that Paul had a bigger picture. Just saying, stand and be strong. Be prepared like a Roman soldier. You know, the Roman soldiers also used the imagery of a turtle shell on a lot of their things. You know why? Because that shield was large. And they learned to come together and overlap shields like a turtle back. And they could keep fiery darts from hitting everybody. So a few soldiers together were strong. Isn't that a great analogy? We're stronger together than we are alone. And can I remind you, if you look at all the armor that I just talked about, Paul didn't mention it, but I'm low enough, I'll say it. There's only one part of you that's not protected. Can you look and see where it is? It's your derriere. (laughs) If you look at a Roman soldier, he is armored up, but if he's running away, he is open. Achilles heel talks we can take you down don't run you hear me believer don't run paul didn't give that as an option he said stand firm be strong defend one another come together use the sword of the spirit which is truth absolute truth that is how we as believers live in this world as a motorcycle rider i thought i'd use this today as just a visual I don't just get on my motorcycle and ride. I, I like to be prepared. I know other bikers ride in shorts. If you meet a motorcycle rider who rides in shorts, look at their calves. I guarantee you there's a scar. There's a hot exhaust pipe. That's why we wear jeans when we ride, because we make a mistake and our calf can accidentally hit that pipe when it's hot. Oh, that hurts bad. I start with my shoes when I ride. I put on these. These are big, healthy boots, got metal all in them. I like them because they got zippers because I'm old. It looks like they got ties, but there's zippers on the side. Makes it a little easier for old guys to get down there. And I put on my boots. I start with my boots. Start with some jeans. But then I have some other things that I use. I wear goggles when I ride. These were given me. These are not the ones I wear, but I was given these this week by Maria Honan. She found these at a garage sale. She said, I want to see you wearing these. I'm not going to ride with these. I have other goggles that I wear, and they're going to fog up when I put them on. I have Harley goggles that I put on. Protect my eyes. Riders know that, boy, one of the things you got to do is be able to see. If you can't see, you're in trouble. So I put on these goggles that can't fall off. They're shaded a little bit for the sun, but no bugs are getting in my eyes. And then I, I have a helmet. I always wear a helmet when I ride, folks. And I think the helmet's essential. I know that we've got a law that says you don't have to wear. The law is taken off the books that you don't have to wear a helmet. But you know the guy who fought for that freedom not to wear a helmet went out and rode one time without a helmet. And he went back home and he said, I'm never doing that again. And he wears a helmet. <laughs> he fought for freedom of choice. But he decided to use wisdom. I put on gloves, leather gloves when I ride. Because if you fall, first thing you do is put your hand down. So I put on leather gloves when I ride. And then I also put on this. and It's not a 40-pound metal, but it sure is heavy. I don't know how much it weighs. But I put on leather, not just to be cool, 
well, some of it's to be cool, but I wear leather because you want this big part of your body, the main part, protected. So this is what I do when I ride. It takes some time, it takes some thinking, and I choose one to ride because I don't ride when it's 100 outside. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> but I get prepared. I wouldn't think of riding without this stuff. There's one other thing that I always do. It's not part of my gear, but it's part of the process. And the one thing that I do reminds me of the seventh armor of God that people leave out most of the time, that I believe Paul intended to be part of it. It's not really a piece of armor as much as it is the first action. Everything Paul has told us has been imagery about wearing armor. The seventh piece is actually the action you do once you're fitted up. Put up number seven, prayer. Soldier, what do you do? I hope you don't think as a believer, and some believers take this tact, that we get all armored up and we go looking for a fight. <laughs> we go looking for a fight. Boy, now Satan, I'm ready for you, Satan. We go try to fight. No, no, friends, believers, don't go looking for him. He's looking for you. Just be prepared when he comes. But the action we do is not go looking for a fight. The action we do is actually prayer. You know what the, the thing that I do when I'm ready to go riding, the last action I do? It's been mandated by the person in charge, my wife. My wife said, don't you ever get on that bike and leave this house until you come and give me a hug and a kiss. Because if you go out there in that dangerous place and die, I want to know that we had our last hug and kiss. So I gear up, but then I go put on love. I go put on love. The armor of God is not meant to be some thing that you wake up every day and physically. You can do that if you'd like. If it helps you as a believer, you can imagine yourself and pray on that helmet of salvation and pray on those pieces. But really, I don't think Paul was trying to get into the details. I'm thinking he's trying to give you a big picture, Christian. And that's what I want to end with. This armor, go ahead and go. The armor gives three imperatives. And I know we're over time already, but the three imperatives can be fast. The three imperatives for those in armor is, I must be strong. Everybody say strong. That's what he starts with. He said, finally, brothers, be strong. Don't be weak. You once were weak, but now you've got, you've got pieces. And it's all about Christ, not about you. That's what I love about this. It's all about what Christ has done already. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, He'll provide a way of escape. Though the devil has fiery darts, but God has, he has protection for you. And to put on that full armor of God is to apply all of the gospel to all of your life. Are you applying all of the gospel to all of your life? It is living in the full trust in God and what he has done for you through Jesus. Oh, I hope that's how you're living, Christian. Trusting in what Jesus has done. I've given you all these verses. Go ahead and hit the button one more time. I was going to read them today. For lack of time, I don't have time, but that's why I printed them for you. Your notes have each of these verses. Each of these verses speak to you about being strong. Everybody say strong. Paul would say be strong. And the next thing he would say, number two imperative, is stand firm. Everybody say stand. Be strong Stand firm. And all these scriptures listed talk about taking a stand. Not going looking to pick a fight. Believer, don't go do that. But to stand firm because your enemy is coming at you full force. Be ready. Be prepared. Be alert. 
Be on guard. All of these images are used in Scripture. And lastly, the third thing is I must pray at all times. That's the action. What is the action I do with all this armor? The action is pray. Not only for yourself, but pray for others. By doing so, you're putting up that shield for your fellow believers. Are you praying in Christ for yourself and for those around you? That's the battleground. That's why we're coming to an election. And what we're choosing to do as a church is we're praying for us and our nation. We'll come to war through prayer, right? That's our battleground. I'd rather go to to prayer than to try to fight some war that I can't win in my own strength. I'm going to go to prayer and let God have the victory. Show those verses. All of those you can look up. I'll have the band come, and I just want to end with this quickly. You've got those verses. Please take advantage of those verses. I saw this this week, and I thought it was too good to pass. I've got an orange here. I've got one that's peeled and one that's not. I find it really interesting, though, if you take an orange and you peel it uh, and put it in some water, it's very interesting. The one that has been peeled, it sinks. It sinks to the bottom. But an orange that hasn't been peeled, you'd think that it would sink, right? But it doesn't. It floats. It's got armor on. It's protected. It, it doesn't sink down low. It floats to the top. Believer, are you going to be a believer who floats to the top or are you going to sink to the bottom? First, you've got to be knowing that there's a battle going on for your life and your soul. Know that there's a battle. Know who your enemy is. Know where he is. Armor up. Every day, live in the gospel, the truth. We have victory in Christ, but there's still a battle. Rise to the top. Live out the word of truth. When you see a church in disunity, they've lost a battle. Anytime you see a church that's in disunity, they've lost the battle. And I'll tell you why. They've chosen the wrong enemy. Too many churches, you wouldn't believe the number of churches I know, that die Because they've chosen that the enemies were here together instead of knowing there was an enemy they couldn't see. And they chose the wrong enemy. You know, we as people are are fighters. (laughs) And and if we don't know who our real enemy is, we'll tend to fight with what we can see. And we'll choose each other and tear each other down. Make sure you have your armor. Make sure you're protecting other believers. Know that we're in this together. Who's the real enemy? He's out there to take you down. He's already defeated. So I'm going to live in victory. And I'll fight from victory. And I'll fight for all of you. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, help us today in this short time just to process the armor of God. We thank you for it. Oh God, we thank you that we have protection of vital parts. But God, help us to live in that. If we don't know we're in a battle, we don't know that we need to be living in this every day. We are vulnerable. We are weak. So Father, thank you for the word from the letters that teach us once weak, now strong. Now help us to live in strength. Help us to stand. Help us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen.